Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of a mezcal, tequila, arandas, Jalisco, an amazing episode for you here today. Not only do we have Mr. David Zero doing a wonderful intro and a knowledge bomb about the new Tequila Ancestral project, which is a combination of mezcal techniques, classic old school historical techniques for producing tequila, but we also get to sit down and chat with Carlos Camarena of Tapatio, Altasora, and some other amazing tequila brands. This is one of those episodes that you get to learn so much. You get to learn from two of the legends, and of course, Tequila Ancestral should be on everybody's holiday gift list this season, but to sit down and speak with the legend, the master himself, Mr. Carlos Camarena, it was just a pleasure. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this chat with David Cerro and Carlos Camarena. Very old, but very new. Something that's good. Yeah, yeah, very, very good. Yeah. Is, uh, this is where uh, 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 you were mentioned the Vieiras Mezcales, yeah. the Siembra Metal, and the uh, Don Mateo de la Sierra expressions. And uh, so, you know, this family of multi generations of knowledge and, 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 and history, they were uh, very generous. And uh, they were, uh, when I talked to them about sharing that knowledge yeah. with uh, the Rosales family from Cascawin, from mm-hmm. Jalisco, the producers of Siembra Valles. Uh, Emilio don't even think twice. He immediately he said, sure. He oh, said, sure. And, and that's very significant. I yeah. think the, the, the epicenter of this uh, new expression, the Siembra Valles, that's what, precisely, that's what it is. Yeah. It's a collaboration. It's a reunite the uh, Agave Distilled Spirits family, which, uh, you know, for many different historical, cultural, geographical factors, yeah. it was divided, you know. It uh, does feel different, flavor-wise. More, flavor more, more than a century ago, you know, the tequila, it take a different route and very successful category, yeah. you know, and it went up to conquer the world, and it did. Um, but, obviously, in that process, we kind of like a walk away from these um, incredible flavors that traditional methods of production offer to our palate. Yeah. You know, we walk away from methods of production who were, you know, linked to centuries, many centuries of knowledge, of wisdom, of, mm. of, of uh, you know, human wisdom. Right. Uh, so for at least you know, 15, 20 years, I, I was really looking forward to be able to bring back those flavors, you know, to go back to the genesis of the vino mezcal de tequila. 
Was there anything that you'd ever had that would taste like no, what nothing. this could have never? It's because no, it's no, so it's, old, it's right? Never. It was. It, it, it was. It's not been done for more than a hundred years. That's the, amazing. The peat roasted is. It's been over a hundred years. You know, the uh, distillation in wood has been three hundred years. Yeah. The uh, hand maceration. The hand maceration. Remember, that's pre-Taona. The, the the hand maceration is also so very old. So right. we we are in search for historical flavors. And yeah. uh, when you have families like the Vieira and the Rosales who say, "Why not?" and they're willing to work together, it's pretty remarkable. It's amazing. I mean, it's yeah. a it's a, it's a historical uh, event that uh, reunite through these families the category of agave spirits. Yeah. And he, Emilio even went as far to help provide still designs, or he made yeah, the still. Yeah, no, they, 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 they were more than generous. That's crazy. I mean, you yeah. know, multiple trips to Jalisco, to Arenal. Yeah. Uh, uh, obviously, this was totally new for, for the um, Rosales family. Mm. So Emilio and his team, they were there. They were supervising. Yeah. They were advising. And... And the results are beautiful, you know. I, 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 I'm not kidding when I say that I, it brings quite a few tears yeah, yeah. Uh, in the visits that I make. And when I saw the progress of this uh, project, and, you know, when we taste the first drops, it How, was... What was that experience like? A, very emotional. Yeah. Very, very emotional. Yeah, I, I, I did cry, you know, and... Uh, I not feel shame to to admit well, it's a that beautiful I'm a, thing. I mean, yeah. if you think about it, you created a, a tunnel to the past, yeah, a gateway, you know. So um, finally, we are able to taste historical flavors, yeah. taste what our um, you know ancestors taste and enjoy uh, centuries ago. Yeah. yeah, and so the product which is finally just hitting texas yeah. i think this week I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, on your yeah, journey yeah, right yeah, it was a perfect time ancestral right siembra valles ancestral siembra yes. valles ancestral what is the proof the bottle proof on this well you know we have two batches oh okay uh, a small batch of 350 liters batch number one yeah that uh is available in texas oh very uh, good that's that's a small batch that we allocate to to texas uh, and that's 49 percent oh man it's a tequila at 49 that is a, a tequila, beautiful yeah. and batch number two which was the uh big batch uh well big yeah you know <laughs> big, quote. <laughs> in quote uh which is about 3500 liters oh that's quite big uh, yeah. that's uh 50.2 uh, percent so it's 100.4 proof wow gorgeous stuff and uh, and i have to say that i also as an addition to all these wonderful elements of the project uh, that particular batch is a bat friendly uh, you oh, know amazing. so so Which it's I know made is a, always a, a huge thing yeah it's made with an agaves that were uh, they came from the plantation yeah. that it was uh, assigned to the experimental phase of the bat friendly project amazing so uh, you know in batch number one is the historical is the first yeah, 350 yeah. liters they were produced uh, with these methods, mm. ancestral methods, and batch number two, same process, but uh, in addition is the bat-friendly um, uh, agave. It's a, it's a massive a, undertaking, and so for people that may not have the privilege of getting to taste it, which I'm very, very much looking forward to here in a moment. Yeah, how 
how is it different? How can you convey to people how different this ancestral yeah, is? Yeah, this is a very interesting uh, question because uh, uh, the uh, Rosales family and the Vieiras, we've been tasting this product and it's so complex, it's so yeah. big, it's, it's so different than what our palates are used to taste on, right. on, on tequila. Um, that it, it, it's so robust and it has, it needs time to breathe and it's, it depends on where you taste it. You right. know, I've been tasting on the gores, on, on, on the, uh, you know, the nice size gore. Right. And it opens up in so many different ways. In the beginning, you have this very green, um, you know, minty uh, flavor profile, wow. you know, vegetables. Uh, some citrus notes, but then five minutes later, you you have a complete different yeah. uh, message from this uh, spirit. It gets very earthy, you know, lots of minerality, you know, dirt, you know, the this wet soil. Yeah, it's a it's a spirit that I it's, it's so complex that is I will lie if I can give a, a, a proper description. Yeah, because. We try. We still try to figure out what is the message from that spirit to us. Right. You know, yeah. It's, it sounds like an experience with tequila that none of us have ever been able to experience before. No. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's if for the first time. You know, there was no parameters where we can compare this uh, tequila with because it was never done. You know, it was not done for. At least three generations of us. That's you know. incredible. So it is. It is you fascinating. Were the, you you were the first to the moon. You helped put these people together to combine well, and know, to I, I'm just again. the bridge between two great families and two very humble and and, and generous families. And uh, and that's a privilege to yeah. be able to bring together these these uh, uh, incredible producers. Yeah. The the work that you've done in facilitating such great minds and allowing them to contribute and collaborate it is unparalleled david and it's just a lot of fun are you <laughs> kidding me i mean this is you know i i, I call it this a, a job and yeah. but it, you know how many people out there would like to have my job <laughs> we, yeah, i don't even we'll take a raise of hands right now this whole room <laughs> yeah. absolutely so it's a brilliant thing and again man it's great to see you and yeah, thanks so much for chatting you, and we've got another the last installment of the talks about Sambavales ancestral here at King B in just a second. Can't wait to taste. I can wait to taste. I see, you know, this is a nice crowd this gathering right the, now. We're the room's picking up. Share all the love from Jalisco and Michoacan with uh, with a lot of our colleagues. And uh, thank you, Mike. No thank better. You, and thank you for what you're doing. Oh man, man. this is always you know, a pleasure, David. Bringing the word out. This is beautiful, and and I really appreciate that you take the time to listen to me we all appreciate you taking the time right. to bring this together so thank right. you so much mr cheers. cheers cheers to everybody uh, usually two times a year two times uh, yeah two or three times a year to different markets so uh eventually i can get uh, to a specific market every three years or oh, really? four because yeah, two or three trips, but the different markets in the u.s well uh, you don't see me that often yeah, I coming, like coming back uh, I think to a specific market yeah, yes. something like that. It's interesting because if you think about the concept of rock stardom, celebrity, right? America loves their whiskey distillers. Yes. But they also love their tequila distillers. And you, in a sense, are kind of this rock star. People really enjoy engaging with you. How do you feel about 
how the world has embraced you and kind of put you on a pedestal a little bit as a distiller? Well, I think I, I do not deserve that kind of, of thing. <laughs> that's and, the best uh, part, right? Well, it is. It is fun, but but still, even after uh, so many years, it is still kind of strange to me that yeah. that feeling because uh, I would say I'm a I'm a regular person. It's I a just try dude, to right? I just try to do the best that I can on yeah. my own field, and uh, that's all I do. And you don't see me very often because of that. Because yeah. uh, I I love to be in, in the agave fields, and I like to be on top of everything at the distillery. Yeah. I mean, as a master distillery. That is my place to you be. You kind of have to, yeah. I, I usually don't think of myself as, as being a PR person. Yeah. If you get me to talk, well, I will talk. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I'm not kind of a PR person that is outside uh, promoting and, and, and doing uh, public presentations mm-hmm. and things like that. I, I like to be at my distillery working. Yeah. It's, well, it's an amazing thing because that's, that's the weird thing about, you know, I've talked to a lot of people about this. We romanticize. Because because the, now there is agave in Texas, right? But it's kind of untapped, right? So, but Mexico is this amazing place. It's very very diverse, lots of different languages, lots of different cultures. But we romanticize you in that place, you know. And so, to the West, if you will, or to the states, we're looking for people to just kind of like hold up and have as these icons of of the industry. And the thing I love about it is you're humble, right? You're just saying, "Well, I'm just doing what I'm doing." Which is an interesting thing. You mentioned too yesterday, and we, you guys were here for that tasting at the Townsend. You have four daughters, is that you said, or three daughters? Three, three daughters. Three daughters. Is that the future of the distillery? Your daughters? Well, that's that's what I see. Actually, yeah. one of them is already uh, working at the distillery. Oh, the great. oldest one. Yeah. Uh, the other she? two are still in, in in one in college and one in high school. Yeah. So the oldest one is is twenty five. Oh, that's she perfect. She has right? uh, one year that uh, left college, and and now she's she's part of our company, and she's working there and learning her way yeah. uh, through every single aspect there. That's, so that's I see that is that is the future. I mean, that's the next generation to take uh, care of the distillery. Does and, she have and a good. I imagine she's got an amazing palate. Uh, yes, he has a good palate, and also she has training. She yeah. has uh, taken a kind of a professional uh, courses on oh, on tasting, and therefore she's certified uh, also. That's as, incredible. As, yeah, I she, mean they they need to be prepared. Yeah, I, it's well. I don't want to talk about how much longer you're going to be doing this, but you've created such a a, tradi- a legacy in kind of a short amount of time. So tell me a couple of the brands that you're working on. You talked to, obviously Tapatio and all that, th- th- those SKUs, but also El Tesoro, is that right? Yes, we produce actually uh, right now four brands four, coming out of La, La Alteña Distillery, which is uh, Tapatio, mm-hmm. that is the brand that my grandfather started with. Yeah. Uh, then the second brand coming into the market from our distillery was uh, El Tesoro de Don Felipe. Yeah. Uh, the third one has been Ocho. Mm, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yes, well, and of course, how could I forget? <laughs> and lately, we had uh, we have another brand in in certain markets in Europe and and just coming into the U.S. in certain places, which is uh, Villalobos Tequila. So oh, okay. those are the four brands that we are currently Keeping working. You very busy. Yes. So you were born in Mexico. Is that safe to assume? That is correct. Um, yes. How? Far away from your current distillery, where you born? Was it pretty close? Uh, actually, no. I was born in Mexico City. Oh, okay. uh, 
I mean, if I go back this uh, this fifty uh, something years, yeah. <laughs> uh, probably there was not very good doctors in Aranda. So every time that my mother was ready to give birth to mm -hmm. a child, she would run to Mexico City because actually she was from Mexico City. Oh, really? And therefore, she would go to her uh, parents' house mm -hmm. in order to have the baby there and someone to take care of her. She was not very confident on the doctors on, on that little town of, of Arandas. Yeah. And uh, so uh, all of my sisters, my brother, myself, all of us were born in Mexico City. Wow. But uh, after a few days, we would go back to Jalisco. But you're and all healthy. Then, the sign off, you guys head back, right? <laughs> and then uh, I feel, I feel uh, Jalisciense. I feel from Jalisco, even if uh, kind of like by an accident, I yeah. was born in Mexico City. <laughs> by an accident. <laughs> How many uh, brothers and sisters do you have? I have one brother and I have only seven sisters. Only? <laughs> only seven, yeah. <laughs> so the daughter's thing really runs well, in the well, family, does it? I live surrounded by, by females, seven sisters, three That's daughters, my wife, uh, my uh, my friends teases me saying that in my house even the dogs are female dogs, <laughs> uh, which is true. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I love to live surrounded by women. I think that that's a pretty good quote. I think, that's <laughs> I think that works for, for any guy, right? Yes. It's funny too because Tomas was talking about his pursuit of women as well. You know, this is maybe a, th a thread between you two guys, the, the heartbreakers, the right. rebels, right? So in terms of schooling and such, were there things that you were particularly, do you do university in Arandas? Do you do grade school and all of that? No, I went to college back in, in, in Mexico City, okay. actually, and I have a degree on agriculture. I am an agricultural engineer. Yeah. So if you ask me, I never thought I would become a master distiller. I was not even thinking about distilling tequila. Even to though me, it was fifth generation, you said? Uh, yes. Yeah. But to me, it was uh, kind of a, a, my father's uh, job or my father's thing was producing tequila. So yeah. my dream, it was that I would have this agriculture degree, come back into Arandas and take care of the agave fields. Yeah. So I said, I will grow the agaves. I will produce the agaves for my father sure. to convert those agaves into, into tequila. So mm -hmm. that was kind of my plan. Yeah, be, be out in the fields with the plants, right? Yeah. That is correct. Yeah, to kind of to my surprise when I came back home with my title saying, okay, now I'm ready to go to the fields. <laughs> uh, my father surprised me saying, I'm glad that you're back because now it's time for you to learn this sit in my chair and do what I would do because I'm going to the agave fields. I said, hey, wait a minute. He, wait a minute. Yeah. He, the, the bait and switch There's on something you. Yeah. wrong here. Yeah. So I am the one that's, that is supposed to be at the agave fields. Yeah. And I know nothing about uh, making tequila. I know how to drink it, but I don't know anything <laughs> that's about part of it at least. making tequila. And also, I know nothing about running a company. So now you want me to run the company and produce tequila, and I have no idea yeah. of that. So he told me, well, I will be close by. If you have any questions, you will know where <laughs> Here to find me. Here are the keys. Me. Just drive it around a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. You know where to find me. I'll be in the fields <laughs> and uh, sit here and do what I would do. How, how old were you at a, this? It was kind of a shock for me. Yeah. How old was your father at this point, roughly? Uh, my father was uh, about 60. Okay. So maybe that's time, yeah, to kind of, kind of go change careers a little bit or go have some relaxing times out. In the agave field. Well, yes, but uh, I mean, it would have been easier if it would be kind of a kind of a, a slowly <laughs> right. uh, uh, teaching me and not just surprising me, saying, "Okay, now sit here, do this, and yeah. I'm gone." I mean, it was kind of a shock, and now I appreciate because uh, appreciate it because uh, 
I got the best of both worlds. Yeah. And uh, and to me, as a tequila producer, still the most important part of, of this, it is the agave production. I say, right. we only have one raw material. If we make sure that we have a first quality raw material, in this case, first quality agave, mm. then it gets very easy to produce a first quality tequila. Yeah. If you don't get that quality on the raw material, how can you produce good, good right. spirit? Right, shit in, shit out. So, yeah. yes. So again, going back to my daughters, yeah, my idea is train them so they can they can take care of this business, so I can do what my father did. Go, hang go on. back to <laughs> the fields because <laughs> Fine, that you'll is, finally get to go back. Exactly, oh, because that good. is what I really enjoy yeah. the most. I mean, enjoy everything, but but what I enjoy the most it is the fields. When I'm at the office and I get stressed out, my way of releasing the stress is. Go to the fields. I go check the agaves, check the himadors, check the people working there, and I relax. And then I can come back to the office and keep on dealing with paperwork and the government agencies Alex and all of that oh, kind yeah. of stuff. Is the, are the fields? Well, a couple questions. So, are the nature for me is a very therapeutic thing. Are the and I love and I always find agave so beautiful. It's just it, it, to think that something inherently in nature is so complex and has so much different shapes. You know, it's it's a very very beautiful thing. Is is that kind of what you enjoy about going out into the fields? The aesthetic of the plants? Is it just that it's wide open? Is it that it's nature? Yeah, yeah. the fact that it is wide open is nature. It's not a telephone ringing on your ear all the time. Mm -hmm. There's no people bugging you, asking you a lot of different things. And yeah. therefore, to me, that is the relaxing when I can be by my own, enjoying the nature, looking at the agave yeah. plants, uh, making probably plants in my head without any external disturbance yeah. so that is what i enjoy a little bit of time for myself enjoying nature looking at the plants and it's beautiful it. you know i had a question so with regard to your father's like here are the keys to the castle carlos <laughs> just do it right was at that point is, you, is your brother older or younger uh, my brother is seven years uh, older, older than me yes was that ever the possibility that he would do you take over instead? Um, well, no, for one specific reason. Mm. He was so equal to my father that after five minutes together, they would be fighting. Oh, I see. They were too stubborn. They would be crashing all the time. Yeah. So at that time, uh, he was not in the picture to take over this. Actually, it was until my father passed away mm. uh, that, I, that I actually requested my brother's help Really? At the distillery, he started learning about the process. He got in love with the process, and he decided that he would build his own distillery. That's uh, which, how much he loved it. Which he did, and now he has his own distillery, his really? own tequilas. So it was in, uh, at his blood. It was in his blood, Yeah. but uh, he couldn't get along with my father for <laughs> a long time. They would be crashing immediately. Yeah. It's How long did he spend kind of studying with you before he said, I, I can do this now, I'm going to go? Uh, probably about four years. Okay. Wow. Yeah, and about it, four you, years with me, and then he decided that he would be uh, by his own. Interesting. Is it? Are you guys on good terms? Yes, of good. course. Of course. What, which which distillery does he operate? Uh, it's Distilleria El Pandillo, oh. and he has right now two brands coming out of that distillery: uh, G4 and Pasote Tequilas. Oh, interesting. So that's. I mean, it, it is in the blood. It you is know, that that lust for, or rather that that knowledge that you get and being raised in it the smells i mean there's something about you mentioned this yesterday when you said well a tasting note is a taste of cook, cook, cooked agave well of course it tastes of cook, cooked agave but that's something that is ingrained in your head once you smell that and you taste that fiber you know and who's to say that 
from a young age that you just always would have that in your mind that you had to bring it and get closer to it the older that you got and then ultimately make tequila it's a it's a very romantic thing it's very sensual you know he smells and everything with the tequila ferments too it's just a very visceral experience so did you enjoy though you you know having to step away from the fields having to operate the distillery how long did you would you say it took before you said i'm i'm very confident in this now i know that i can make great tequila. Uh, probably that period of again probably four to five years yeah. uh, on on this learning curve until I said, okay, now I got it. Yeah. So now I have the feeling, the, the, the touch, so I can do it by my own. At first, I, all the time I was asking for my father's help. Okay, you said you would help me, so what What do I do here? Yeah, yeah, what yeah. do I do there? So it took probably about five years, so That's I could amazing. say, okay, now I don't need to ask you any more questions. You I go got and sit it, in the fields then, now. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I won't be bothering you anymore. I I think I can do it. Yeah, That's a, it's an amazing thing. How did... When you first start, when, what year are we talking that you first started? Uh, 1988. 88. So the face of tequila at that point is probably not too respectable, right? And now this, there's always good tequila that was probably being made. But in terms of the world's perspective on tequila, was it still considered at that point a kind of shoot and sip kind of thing? Absolutely. And, and uh, I mean, all tequila at that time had kind of a bad reputation. Yeah. Uh, I remember 1988, uh, I started coming into the U.S. to, to promote El Tesoro, mm -hmm. and uh, most of the people didn't want it even to try it. Really? It was difficult to, to convince someone to try it. Hey, please, I have some good tequila. Try it. Oh, no. The, the, the usual answer it was no, thank you. Yeah. I had a bad experience on tequila. I remember like going gin. to Mexico yeah. on a spring break and going to the beach, and I got some tequilas, and then... Uh, I don't remember anything else. What I remember is that the next <laughs> now I got morning, two kids. I, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. The next morning, I was feeling very bad, a big headache, a big hangover. So no, thank you. Yeah. No tequila for me. So if I was lucky, I could convince one out of ten to try to smell and to taste the tequila. And when they, if they did that, they would say, "Hey, this is not tequila. Yeah. Say, no, this is real tequila. This is a hundred percent agave. This is what all tequila should be." Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was a matter of started changing perceptions. I think that yeah. the, actually the boom of tequila in the last 25 years has been due to education on the consumer. The more the consumer understands what they're drinking, the more they don't want to go back to those bad, bad experiences they had the and not shooting tequila and getting drunk, but really sipping, savoring, and yeah. enjoying the, the, the different nuances, the different flavors that a tequila can provide uh, mostly depending well in a, in a series of factors such as, as where the agave is coming from and what is actually uh, the producing method right. for that. That will be reflected in, 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 the, in the tequila, in the flavors, in the nuances, in the aromas of the tequila. And then the more the consumer gets aware of that, the more they enjoy yeah. sitting and sipping, savoring a tequila instead of shooting it down with a lime and Make salt. Make it an experience. Exactly. That's right. Savor it. Right. Yes, and this, is, and this is almost a recent emergence in the culinary world to sit down and enjoy your food, right? Because the at least in the states, because we're in this different era, fast we're past fast food now. We now have places where you can sit and eat food that was grown five miles away. Like Austin's very very good about that, but the fast food piece is yet still really catching on in Asia and things like that. So it's it's interesting because they're still behind. So 
with the, the, the growth of tequila, it's profoundly changed. Do you think that it's become a pretty big cash grab for everybody now that they see that the perception of tequila is improving, that people want to enter this market and they want to get their own label? Is that pretty a, a large problem? That is correct. I said that again in, in the 80s. It was difficult to sell tequila because of the bad reputation that it had. Yeah. Now it is same difficult or more difficult tequila because tequila is popular. Yeah. How come? Well, uh, when I when I started again with my father in 1988, there was only 20 running distilleries in Mexico wow. and around 70 different brands. Yeah. Nowadays we have about 170 distilleries yeah. in Mexico That's producing insane. some of those multiple labels and therefore we have about 1300 different brands in the market so it is confusing for the consumer going to a liquor store and they find shelves full of tequila and it's confusing to find out what is good what is not that good what is the difference why some tequilas are probably 20 25 dollars a bottle and why there are some that are 40 50 100 or 300 dollars a bottle it is confusing so it is same difficult now because tequila became popular and now everybody wants to have their own brand of tequila well, they see the and, dollar signs, right? and reach the market. Yeah, that's right. How do you feel about those? I mean, because I know the costs of operation for a distillery quite well. Obviously, you do as well, knowing those raw materials. And you have pick of wonderful, perfect you know, agave to pick. A lot of people use lesser and they kind of do blends of, you said, second rate or third rate agave. So knowing that, for a reasonable price, I can get Tapatio, I can get Ocho, bottle of either of these. How do you feel about some of these guys that there's no way that the raw materials can be that different charging $150, $200 a bottle for tequila? You think that's, that's good right. for the it, industry? In, in in some cases, even is the presentation. I mean, there there are some uh, brands that are using uh, crystal decanters right. and silver and gold and diamonds. And I say... What they are selling is the bottle. That's right, yeah. And I usually tell my friends, I do not produce bottles. I don't care about <laughs> the bottle. The bottle, to me, is something that, that will hold the liquid together without spilling it. That's right. Yeah. And that's that's a purpose for a bottle. So I like to have kind of simple bottles mm-hmm. that the consumer doesn't have to pay for the bottle. They are paying for the liquid. And the idea is also that the bottle is not so special that they want to keep it forever mm-hmm. and maybe even unopened. We want them to open the bottle, Keep to taste the it. juice, to drink the juice, and once the bottle is empty, dump it into the garbage and go buy another one because that is my business. Yeah. It is producing liquid. It is producing tequila, not bottles. It's a, it's amazing thing because I think you're right. Some people just keep that bottle forever, you know. And the juice you could get it, you could get an equally good juice in a lot of different bottles, too. or way better, or, or absolutely, or way better. I just it's a, it's a, whiskey. I kind of get maybe. Right, because you get some bottles that are like thousands of dollars, and some of that stuff it becomes rare. But tequila, you have great tequila right now being made. That is, when you take the barrel piece out of it, it's all new spirit, right? Right. So it's like, how could I just don't know how you could justify charging ten times as much for this thing, and again for the bottle, even that the bottle doesn't cost that much. It's very strange. No, well, I think it's it's marketing and and. and uh I mean, nice bottles and, yeah. and a very nice marketing. They spend a lot of, of money on, on that, on publicity marketing, and yeah. the consumer is the one that has to pay for all of that at the end. Right. Do you think it's better to focus, and I think I know the answer, but do you think it's better to focus on selling your product or making the best product? Well, I can? think that, that if you make the best product as you can, it will sell. Yeah. So the, the, to me, the main effort is 
produce quality because the consumer is, is not dumb. Yeah. They will realize. So sooner or later, everything has its own weight. Some people that is trying to sell bad juice with a very nice presentation, mm -hmm. they can start selling a lot. And then in a couple of years, in a few years, they're, they're crashing down. Uh, but if you have a good product and you have a quality and you have a consistency, the, the consumer will notice and therefore you can have a distillery for generations and you keep being in the business. Yeah. It's not overnight that you can build a reputation, you can, you can destroy a reputation Absolutely. in one split second, a bad decision, and it comes crashing down. So that is our main interest is, is produce good juice, Uh, we already have a nice reputation. Now we have to keep it because the problem is not to get to the top, it's to remain there That's right. with that uh, kind of quality for the consumer. Yeah. And I mean, God, the, the Ocho stuff, you know, that tasting yesterday, it's just wonderful. Those bottles are lovely. And it's such, it's cool to taste in different places, you know. And I do, you know, I think of it as a distiller. And this is, I always can ask you a couple of different questions about blending and fermentation. So working with that one species all of the time. Now they're, they're, they're they they are different. They do taste different as as we demonstrated you guys demonstrated yesterday growing in different kinds of climate, different kinds of soil and all of that. But do you ever and perhaps you've already done this. Do you ever think about working now outside of tequila of course, but working with a different type of plant? Uh, just for your own personal kind of creative journey? Actually, we can't I mean, we can't produce, according to Mexican law, if we have a tequila distillery, we cannot bring any other plant. We oh, cannot distill any other Nothing thing else. than tequila. No, by law, if it's tequila, oh. it is tequila, and that's it. So we don't even have the chance to think about uh, about okay. uh, playing games around and, hey, what if I start distilling some brandy here? Or yeah. what if I use other species of agave and I produce another different spirit? Yeah. We can't. Oh, so we would that. need to build a different distillery oh, in a different place, and then you could do it as long as that distillery never produces tequila. Because the moment that you start producing tequila and you get certified as a tequila producer, you your distillery do. cannot be used for anything else. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yep. So even if you, uh, let's say you had a little piece of land and where you could have a nice clay still set up kind of outside... You can't do that either, even for maybe personal use, which is, is, is an interesting term, but is the, the government still pretty strict about that too? If you were to just go in a different spot and maybe have a little cottage or something with the still in there. Well, again, if you have a different spot, a different set of stills, a different location, then you could produce something else. But if it's uh, if it's already certified as a distillery that produces tequila, you couldn't produce anything yeah, else right there. I guess because there could be cross-contamination. They're probably worried about purity and things of that nature. That is correct. Yeah. That is correct. I mean, the law for making tequila is, is very, very strict. Yeah. Tequila being... Uh, nowadays, I can tell you, the most regulated spirit in the world. Yeah. Uh, we have to... We have to register the plants of agave from the moment that we are planting those. Really? So the Tequila Regulatory Council is taking care of reviewing those plants all of their life, those six or seven years. Wow. Before harvesting the plants, we need a permit to harvest the plants. They would go check the field and then, uh, I mean, uh, they will be... Uh, controlling every single truck of, of agave going into a distillery needs a permit also for the wow. for that truck and uh, coming to the distillery time. of course we have to be testing the agave how much sugar it has yeah. how much piñas were coming into that truck so they can keep track of everything and wow. 
on and on and on. So it controls all the way to the moment that the consumer is getting that no into the market. So it is the most regulated spirit industry in the world right now. Is it to preserve the industry or keep it at the same? What do you think is the ultimate intent for that kind of control? I think it is mostly to protect the consumer. That if a label says 100% agave, the consumer can make sure that it is 100% agave. That if a label says this was aged for 10 years, it is a certification saying that the product was inside the barrels for 10 years. So it is uh, actually, well, it is to protect the consumer and at the same time it is protecting the industry Mm -hmm. by giving certainty of what we are producing and why uh, we are producing it. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, and so tequila, you said 1,300, roughly 1,300 brands in the market now, which is in a massive amount. It's seen this huge explosion, this burst. And also, it has, I guess, given a lot of momentum to the mezcal category as well, which is good because that exposes different kinds of flavors, different kinds of techniques. How do you feel about what is just kind of the early days of the growing mezcal market? How do you feel about that kind of growth there? Well, again, I think that the most the consumer started getting educated, the consumer started getting educated on tequila, yeah. uh, learning the, the, the flavor, sipping, savoring, and then they kind of discover agave. And then the consumer didn't want it to just stay there with one species of agave. Then, oh, there's mezcal, there's other species of agave, yeah. other spirits produced in Mexico with other species of agave. I want to try those. And therefore... The more the people was trying different agave spirits, the more in love they felt. And then, uh, of course, the production methods, if we talk about mezcal, Mm. it is still, uh, I would say, very uh, rustic, very romantic, very traditional, ancestral ways of producing mezcal. And nowadays, again, the people is is turning back to get away of the mass-produced products and going back to the roots, to the organic, to the handmade to the traditional uh, ways of producing Under the and radar. therefore mezcal yeah. gets right there into that concept or uh, that the consumer is looking for yeah i think there's i mean there's always those risks when you keep obviously they keep pulling wild agave out and there's not a lot of replanting done in the mezcal field and that's a big threat there how long do you think before mezcal suffers some really big growing pains well, uh, there's already rumors and people from Mezcal, they are already complaining that they don't have enough uh, uh, agave to produce oh, in wow. subsequent years. And kind of recently, I, I read an interview that uh, a magazine or a newspaper in Mexico had with uh, uh, the president of, uh, of the uh, uh, Mezcal agave uh, chain, uh-huh. And he was saying that uh, probably next year they would be running out of agave, uh-huh. and therefore they would be coming to Jalisco to buy blue agave, uh, the same as in the past. Some tricky tequila companies were bringing uh, agave from Oaxaca into tequila with oh. different species, which it was illegal. That's, yeah. And now they said, as you did that, now we will come to Jalisco and get some of the blue agave, and you have to sell that to us because otherwise we don't have enough agave. Wow to keep producing mezcal at the rate that the market is growing and yeah. demanding. That's incredible. I, I mean, I didn't realize we were coming up so close to that, that crisis, you know. A couple things. I mean, I thought I found it very interesting you were talking about just the genetic singularity or the lack of diversity gene, gene-wise. And we'll talk about that in a second. But I, I do want to get your take 
on mezcal in general. In terms of your palate and your preferences, does mezcal, is that a pleasing spirit as well as tequila for you? Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry. No, no. Uh, well, actually, uh, what I could say is, is again, right, mezcal uh, has been uh, on a boom this, this last few years. Yeah. And now everybody wants to have their brand of mezcal. Everybody wants to produce mezcal or reach out to find a, a mezcal producers yeah. to fill their bottles. And therefore, you may find some very good quality mezcals in the market, but also you can find something oh, which is very bad, unrefined, yeah. very bad. So you can find a whole spectrum of uh, quality there. So same there with are tequila, some, right? yeah. same with, as with tequila. So there are some that are very pleasant to the palate, very well done, very mm. clean. And there are some that I could say that uh, I couldn't even drink them. But at the moment that I smell them, I said, that's enough for me. No, yeah, thank yeah. you. I don't want to try it. Interesting. Because, you know, the way I look at it, and the tequila is a very has this nice glossy sheen. It's very crisp. It's obviously, uh, mezcal can get cheesy and smoky. It gets a little bit more rough around the edges than tequila does. And I, f- I feel like the, your preferences, because obviously anything that a distiller makes is an expression of their own palate, right? So Tapatio or Ocho, of course, those both speak to how you want to drink. I imagine it's exactly what you want a spirit to taste like, but mezcal probably is different. It's a, it's a little bit more, ang- it's not as palatable for you. That's right. Some of yes. The, yeah, some of the mezcals. Interesting. Okay. Well, so we also, you were talking about, there's all these crises looming, right? So we're going to run out of agave or mezcal. We're going to not run out of agave per se for tequila, but we will see it all die or it's incredibly vulnerable to any viral attacks. So tell me, and I loved hearing about this, although it is tragic, tell me about the banana crisis that's going on right now. You mentioned that within two years, it's very probable that the bananas as we know them, those chiquita kind of very, very medium-sized yellow bananas will no longer be around. That's right. It's supposed to be about to get extinct or disappear. And and it's because, uh, well, actually, those bananas were kind of created to... uh, uh, to suit the market with a specific size, a specific flavor, a specific uh, way of maturing, yeah. so they would always be the same. And the banana, the same as the blue agave, they can reproduce non-sexually through hijuelos or through little plants that will come from the root of the plant. So uh, in order to have this uh, stability in the market, all of these, uh, let's say, chiquita bananas, yeah. Uh, are reproduced non-sexually. Therefore, all of the plants are clones. They have exactly the same genetic information. Right. And recently, a virus started attacking the, the banana plants in Africa. And uh, what I have read is that there's no more of those bananas nowadays in Africa, Europe, or Asia. Oh, really? So the question is not if that virus will make it into America. It is when. Yeah. One year, two years from now, and one, it reaches the plants here. Also, they will have the same vulnerability, uh, and they will probably get extinct. That specific variety. I mean, bananas will keep existing, but different different ones. The the plantains, the little uh, Dominic bananas, and some other bananas will be there, but this one is is about to, to get extinct. And uh, to me, that is our mirror because with the blue agave, also we have about 200 years without allowing the blue agave to reproduce sexually. Mm-hmm. So uh, we use the hijuelos, also clones so, of so, the agave. Uh, 
Abuelos? How do you say that? Hijuelos. Hijuelos, Hijuelos which is the little plant that sprouts from the mother. So you that take that exactly and then you replant this, it, right? The okay. same genetic information that is the one that we removed from the mother and we planted in, okay. in another so field. The pups, that's what I call the them. The pups, yeah. yes. The pups, okay. and they have exactly the same genetic information. So uh, supposedly we have only two clones for blue agave in mm -hmm. all of Mexico. And those two clones are like twins because the genetic uh, difference is, is so minimal. Wow. So therefore the risk for the blue agave is to have this kind of virus, this kind of uh, some disease that could uh, start attacking the blue agaves and it could kill them all. Oh. And therefore the whole tequila industry because uh, there would be no natural defense because any... all of those would be exactly the same. Right, they're just susceptible to the same thing, like a common cold killed, you know, that killed influenza, killed millions of people, you know, at some point yes. because we they all had the same kind or of Or like the phylloxera who got rid of all the grapes in Europe yeah. in the in the early uh, 20th century. Mm. Uh, so that kind of thing is is what we might be facing. Is there in any the precedence uh, the, of that occurring in the agave species is, is there any recorded in recorded history of that that kind of virus or disease affecting those plants not yeah. yet i mean we have we have some diseases but so far they haven't been so violent yeah. so so uh, threatening uh, but but still there is the chance when that would happen we don't know 20 years yeah. tomorrow 100 years 500 years from just now we just don't know but what we know is that the, it is a very big risk to have a a, a, a mono clone mm -hmm. on a plant that gets that gets uh, cultivated over and over and over and over and therefore no defense for a possible attack of, wow. of some disease and that this is, is this led into some studies about and you said the bbc was coming out was it next week or so so to tape and kind of record bat movement you said because the bats are that the is ones correct that because uh, uh, the agave being a, a plant that during the day is dormant uh, it's not breathing it's not transpiring yeah. it's not doing anything it's preserving the energy there and it's at night when it uh, really is alive and it's uh, it's doing all of these physiological uh, movements and when the agave plant reaches maturity spreads out uh, something that we call a kiote, yeah. which is a stalk uh, that it's would the, flower and yeah. and it would s eventually seed, and those flowers are closed during the day and they are open at night. So uh, the natural pollinator of those plants has to be a nightly animal, uh, and therefore it is the uh, bats. The bats are the pollinators of of the agave that will come at night, have the pollen, and go to another plant and keep feeding from mm. from the pollen of the agave plants. And you said they've got a range of up to 140 miles a night or something like that, right? Uh, yes, uh, according to the scientist, a uh, bat can fly up to 140 nights per night That's just incredible. to just to uh, to feed yeah. himself. So the purpose of uh, what we're doing now with what we call the bat friendly program, it is that uh, we are allowing a certain percentage of uh, of our agaves that reaches maturity to actually grow that quixote and to flower and to attract the bats so they can come and get fed by, by the pollen of those plants. And uh, our purpose on the long term, it is actually, well, we need to track down those bats. Find out uh, where they're going and how far We will be trapping spread, those right? bats, putting GPSs on them in order <laughs> to track like that, how, <laughs> how far they are flying, where they are coming from, where yeah. they are going to every single night. 
to see what, uh, how much is the chance that they are visiting also some wild agaves in the area see, that, uh, that also have. And then they would cross-pollinate and bring some new uh, genetic information into the blue agave, not changing the species, but at least making it a little more resistant to this uh, possible attack of yeah. a, an insect or a fungus or a virus or a bacteria or something yeah. in the future. So Man, that a, is the purpose of this plan. It, it's a, it sounds like a really brilliant plan. I, I think, again, the bats, the, I don't think they're going to like the GPS, but it's good. I guess they clip their wing, something like that, and then they kind of carry it with them. Yeah, but it's it's a, so Very small. small right? yeah. It is so small the GPS that they, they don't even feel it. And That's the so thing cool. is that uh, we are not harming them. Oh, we okay, attach yeah. the, this, and and that is the idea. I mean, we don't have so many GPSs to get lost. So the yeah. idea is that we need to track them so we can see at which cave they are sleeping at night. So uh, after they get fed, because when they get there, they will be throwing those GPSs kind of to the ground. Uh -huh. So the next step is going to that cave and find those gps's in back. the floor collect them from the <laughs> from the manure of yeah. the of the bats oh, keep collecting those things back so you can keep on Who using gets to them do that job uh, well actually it's going to be the students of the good. university yeah, of the mexico <laughs> that are working on this on this bad program uh, well that's good that's what they, they want to change the world they're going to have to get their hands dirty right absolutely <laughs> and you met you know it it's such an interesting dynamic with us here, so we're here in Austin, and you guys are actually just shortly here, probably about 20 minutes or so, heading out to San Antonio. It's a beautiful beautiful market, great personalities, and it's a very safe place to be. So where the distillery is located now, is that a pretty, pretty safe part of Mexico? Not a lot of violence in that area? Uh, not right now. I mean, it is in Arandas, Jalisco, in the highlands of Jalisco. Uh, right now, it's pretty safe. If I go back uh, probably five or six years ago, it was not that safe. I actually had to move away with my family from the little town of Arandas to yeah. Guadalajara, which is our uh, the state capital city, uh, because there was a lot of violence and a lot of uh, gang dealers. And, did, uh, and I heard do? that there was some people looking for me, that bad people. Uh, probably. Uh, Why are they looking for you? Because you have mon money, maybe? Uh, well, because well, you're influential? Uh, that might be the perception. Oh, this guy is producing tequila. He must have some money. Uh, and therefore, there were some hijackings in Aranda, some kidnappings. And they were they, these people was looking for ransoms and things like that. So I kind of received the warning from the from the state police to yeah. get out of Arandas, yeah. and I never thought it twice. I took my family, and within a week, I was already gone from there and wow. i told my family which is the best way to hide a tree at the forest let's go to the big city That's because right. then we get lost among other four million people nobody knows who we are yeah. nobody cares and then we can get lost in that multitude of, of people and that's what we did and uh, but now it is it is safe i keep going back and forth every single day to yeah. the distillery uh we're one and a half hours away so it's not such a big distance mm -hmm. And now I feel pretty safe there. Were people operating the distillery while you and your family had kind of been in hiding, I guess? Because you guys were still operating, weren't you? Yes, yeah. absolutely. We but have, you, but I you mean, can't be in, because you're, you're the person that people perceive as. Well, I was, I was going anyways, but uh, I tried to go on a low profile ah, and, and switching cars every single day, ah. switching my timings on getting to different, uh, at different times, at different fields, different areas. Yeah. So, uh, so I wouldn't be an easy target. The, the thing with these groups is that usually 
if you follow a routine, they will know That's exactly when right. to get it, how to get it, and yeah. what is their 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 runaway uh, strategy. Yeah. If you are switching all the time, this routine uh, is no way that they can make up a good plan. Interesting. So that that's what uh, that was what I did by recommendation of the authorities. It was switching cars and low profile and and changing exactly changing all of your routines so they couldn't really keep track of what you were doing. Do a lot of people in Arandas is that's Arandas or Arandas? Yes. Do a lot of people have to live like that? Uh, where they have to really well, fear for no actually some people could move and 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 the rest of the people who remain there well there was fear in in the town and then yeah. the people would go home very early during the day nobody was there at night because uh, it was dangerous so it was it was not good fortunately it didn't last that long it was a two or three year period and then oh. it was over what what drove, uh, what drove that element out well, I think that the, the main problem was that the different gangs were uh, fighting to control the area. I see. What I would guess, without uh, without making sure of this, yeah. is that one of those gangs to control of the area, uh-huh. and therefore they are already uh, doing uh, probably their business of dealing with drugs, but yeah. do not messing with the people in right. the area. They don't so, need to because they, could, they could, exactly they just need to operate the business. They don't need any any bumps, right? they, and they don't need any other source of income. Yeah. And the problem when they were fighting each other is that they couldn't really. See. Make their business and show therefore, because they're fighting, right? And therefore, they try to uh, get money from other sources that was the threatens, and you had to pay for security, and yeah. uh, I mean, you had to pay them. Uh, even in my case, in order to to uh, be able to harvest some agave fields, I had to pay them the permit, so they wouldn't they wouldn't actually uh, disturb my people, really? so we could collect the agave in in those particular we, fields. So we had to pay ransom somehow, but then they were started hijacking people, killing people for for bigger ransoms, yeah. and that's what when everything got very dangerous. Did you lose any staff to the violence? Uh, no, fortunately that's not. Great. And actually, my, all of my staff uh, really protected me because when these groups were looking for me and they were asking questions about me, uh, my people would say, "Oh no, we barely know him. He lives in the U.S. and uh, he never comes here." Right. And they would say, how can you do your job? Oh, well, he calls by phone to the office and by radio, they give instructions to us and that's it. But we barely know Carlos. Uh, we don't even wow. know how he looks like and uh, things like that. So Jeez. all of my people really, really protected us. That's incredible. So. Inc- I mean, that, and that's the thing that, you know, we absolutely take for granted when we drink this stuff, that the peril that is all around. Now, there are certain, like Oaxaca, I think is relatively safe versus Michoacan, for, for example. But we taste this stuff, and sometimes we we really we romanticize it to a point where we don't realize the kind of strife and the kind of struggle it takes just living in this place, right? Making these mezcals, making these tequilas. But you think... And that is, I would say, just one part of it. The other part that most of the people doesn't realize is that the fact that we are using agaves, I mean, from different species according to what you're doing, yeah. And the agave takes so long to grow and mature. Just for tequila, the blue agave, we're talking of a plant that that uh, needs an uh, average six to eight years to mm-hmm. grow and mature. And therefore, those six to eight years, we are in danger. We are in danger from Mother Nature. Yeah. We have a snow or we have a disease or we have something and we can lose all of our crop and right. can never become tequila. So it is a very long term. And if eventually the agave reaches maturity, we harvest that agave 
it's the plant is gone, so you need to be very patient. Plant another one and wait for another seven or eight years so you can have another harvest to produce tequila. So, yeah. so to me, that is also what makes tequila and mezcal very special is the fact that we need to be very patient and to wait for years and years and years before we can have the raw material ready to convert this into tequila. Yeah. And that's when, by sipping tequila, I really appreciate that because it is that energy that was accumulated by the plant during seven or eight years that in order to get transformed into this spirit. Yeah, so that makes the spirit thing. very, very special if I compare this to another spirit that can be produced out of the same ground year after year after year. Yeah. So to me, that makes tequila and mezcal and agave spirits so, so special. Yeah, it's incredibly, it's, it's funny because you need patience, but business, big business does not have patience, right? Make money, make money. And so there, there's going to be even further conflict and further shortages. I'm trying to get the bottles that I can now because I don't think that even the varietals will exist in 10 years. You know, there's so much of that. You've done a lot of work in the tequila industry. There's a lot of money being tossed around. And I recall you telling a story in some some aspect when you were at Midnight Cowboy years ago. Have you had people say, Carlos, your work is so amazing. I really, really want to acquire you. The big boys, they thrown a lot of money your way and said, we want to buy your distillery. We want to buy your operation. Uh, it has happened a couple of times in, in the past, uh, but uh, fortunately we have been able to say, no, thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate the amount of money that you are putting on the table, but no, thank you. Uh, this is not our ideal. Uh, I remember actually the first time that that happened was with my father, with a company mm -hmm. uh, willing to buy the distillery and offering money. And I was very young, I was 18 at that moment, so when they were offering the money, I was kind of picturing myself on a Ferrari. I said, yeah, yeah <laughs> here comes my Ferrari. Yeah. And then my father said, no. And they asked, why not, Don Felipe, why don't sell the company if you're already saying that we are generous, that we are putting more money on the table than right. what your business is worth. And he said, well, there's only one reason. I don't want my kids with plenty of money in the bank to spend oh, and nothing to do because right. that will destroy them. Yeah. So I prefer to leave them something to work for, to feel proud of. On. And if they make their job well done, the money will come. So yeah. the main purpose is not looking for the money. The money will be a natural aspect of what you're doing if you yeah. do it right. So it's not the main purpose. It is a way or a mean to get things done. That's a really but wise thing. And it's the same so thing, I same said, message from, oh, sorry, go ahead. At yeah. that moment, I said, goodbye, Ferrari. Oh, <laughs> yeah. and, you don't and need then a Ferrari I, realized, anyway. I don't need a Ferrari. I love to go to the agave field. Yeah. So what I need is a four-wheeler, a yeah. pickup truck. Some practical. And, and, and those, I already got them. So why do I need the Ferrari for to yeah. keep it uh, at home without using it because there's no use? I don't need it. And I don't need the money in the bank to spend. I mean, we have a decent living. We are sure. not... Uh, very rich, but also uh, we have a decent way of living, and that's what—that's all what we need. So we will pass the stafeta uh, to the next generation, and yeah. it will be their decision if eventually they sell or not. But uh, at least not in my lifetime. You think, it's you, not you think your, your daughters? It seems like they—they want to work too. They want to be a part of that business. That is do correct. You, do you see any of them saying, "Well, we just kind of want to sell the business"? Uh, I couldn't 
still for granted, but I hope they, they, they won't do it. If uh, they are developing the same passion and the same love for this industry, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that they will they will remain that way. Interesting. But still, who knows what the future brings, and therefore they might eventually uh, be in necessity of selling, I don't know, I yeah. couldn't tell. It's interesting, but I mean, it, you, you say your 25-year-old daughter has good business sense, she's got good knowledge of the distillery in a way she's starting out in a uh, well you you come from academia too with your agriculture de- degree but it seems like she's a new generation do you think she'll bring bring some ideas to the table that you hadn't thought about uh he ha- she has already brought yeah. a lot of ideas to the table and, and she's driving a very nice growth in all of our brands in mexico and That's everything and she, she studied marketing and she's applying those marketing ideas, and now we are uh, looking at big growth, actually kind of as a joke. Uh, I told her about a month ago that I was about to uh, to uh, uh, fire her. And uh, she said, why? I said, because you have done such an excellent job that now I don't have enough tequila in the warehouse to sell. So please stop, selling stop, the tequila. stop promoting, stop selling too, a little you're bit. You're too good. Because exactly, yeah. you're too good for what you're doing right now. That's so funny. And I, th- I mean, that's a good problem to have, right? Yes. I think so. When you talk about the brands that you have, so Tapatio, the, y- it's funny. I, I talk about music all the time, and I feel like each of the brands are kind of their own band. But do you like the freedom that you get with Ocho to capture, rather embrace inconsistency? Because that is kind of, for a lot of the bigger brands, the antithesis of what they're trying to achieve, right? Because they want it to be the same thing all the time, and... Sometimes, and it goes, you guys were talking about the neutering of tequila, which makes a lot of sense when you chill filter and pull the oils out. But how do you like having that creative flexibility with it? Yeah, as I would say, with, with our other brands, with Tapatio, with El Tesoro, with Villalobos, we are always looking for consistency yeah. uh, because the, the consumer already are expecting some kind of flavors and, and aromas coming out of those tequilas. So the, the idea with Ocho, it was to to go the other direction and to get that freedom of saying, hey, I will show you what the tequila tastes like depending only on where the agave is coming from. And I know that they will be completely different, but I don't care. Yeah. I want experience. I want to experiment in that direction. I want that freedom that I'm not concerned about Makes you feel good to have that. that kind of freedom, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. And uh, fortunately, this, this brand also has been very successful and it, it is growing very nicely. You have to fire the somebody consumer, soon. The consumer is embracing <laughs> this concept and, uh, and we're very happy about that. Yeah, it's, a, it's one of the most respected brands in tequila. And if you think about it, go on paper, right? If you're in a marketing, marketing person, you'd say, all right, well, we're going to make a tequila based on region, like a, like a wine grape, and it's going to be vastly different every year immediately if you're going to seek investors they'd say oh no 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 no!" <laughs> exactly we want consistency That's we right. we cannot risk that yeah but again as as our main purpose is again not making money it is having fun it is enjoying what we're doing and if we do things right the money eventually will come so we had right. that freedom also of choosing okay what do we want to do yeah. we want to experiment in this direction let's do it there's nothing to tie us up there's not a a lot of, of uh, investors here. There's no shareholders yeah. that are pulling our strings. We have the freedom to go in any, every single direction we want and experiment. And if it works, fine. If it doesn't work, we will try something new and something different. What to, uh, to me is, is the key secret is uh, think outside of the box. Yeah. Go in a different direction. Do not follow the things. herd. 
be different. Yeah. You may be the black sheep of the herd. That's okay with sure. me. I like to be different. I like to be black. <laughs> so who cares about that? Is that kind of a, of a freedom to do what you want to do yeah. that I really enjoy What's the most? What's fulfilling the most? I mean, yes. it'll keep you young too. Yes. So we're, you guys are headed to San Antonio, so we're going to wrap up here. I see you'll make that transition eventually to working in the fields solely, right? As your daughter transitions and perhaps does all the distilling. How much longer do you think before she's ready to take over and you can go and not lounge, but go hang out in nature? Uh, well, I would say if, if, if it's kind of the same procedure that it took me or even my brother to learn and, and become independent, I would think that probably it's a process of three to four years yeah. that I will still be around there, mm -hmm. but I don't want to be trapped at the office every single day. That yeah. is the idea. Okay, now you do this kind of thing, paperwork and permits and... Uh, and getting the label approvals and right, all of right. this kind of thing. And I will be close by at the next field, so I will be close enough. So if you need me, I'll be right here. But uh, so this process probably will take three or four years. So right. I, I mean, can kind of close. start uh, letting them free. This is the time that they are spreading their wings. Yeah. So three or four years, they, they will be able to fly by their own. It's a pretty amazing thing to be able to hand off. Your father had a, a very, very amazing foresight and saying like you say that if you do something wonderfully and with passion and honestly the money will follow don't ever do it for the money that's the wrong reason and the fact that he wanted to keep you kids busy that's right <laughs> to do something respectable and work because now you have a piece of something you are getting your hands they smell they're dirty you know i mean there's something to be said about that as a lost art and distilling is really something to get your hands dirty and you know the stuff that that you and Tomas are working on together is lovely and that puertocita I think that was the one that specifically appealed to me um, I'm not sure I'm gonna make sure I get bug John <laughs> Johnny and see if I can get a bottle of it or even just a half a pour because it's a really brilliant expression of the tequila so is the is tequila the be-all end-all for you or do you see yourself after you're out of the distillery and more in the fields. Do you ever see yourself working on a different product? Have you ever wanted to, such as a brandy? I know that you talk about building another distillery, but <laughs> people could bring you into the States, right? You could collaborate on a brandy, for example. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think so because uh, I remember also at a certain point telling my wife, uh, you know what, when I retire from here, I will like to go buy a piece of land in Napa Valley oh, yeah. and start producing some wine. What'd and she, uh, she told me, well, that's not retirement. That is switching jobs. And the problem <laughs> is that you will go to a, a new job that you know nothing about it. Yeah. So therefore... Take even more time, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I say, well, now producing something else, it is probably the answer is no. This is what I know. And, and uh, at the moment that I retire from this, I will be a little bit too old to start learning something new tricks. So yeah. an old dog cannot learn and new your wife, tricks. I will she be wants to travel, same. right? So, Go around and kind of just relax. Exactly. That would be the ideal. Instead <laughs> of getting into more trouble, trying to produce something else that you know nothing about it. Yeah. So let's keep it simple. I like let's it. keep on tequila and agave and that's it. Do you, would you, do you see yourself sitting on a white sand beach and sipping tequila just by the ocean healing uh, not that much i could do that on a weekend but oh, that's okay. it again i mean my my concept of retirement is just not to be at the office yeah. all day long it is 
to be around and to be at the agave fields. And now we are building a, a house uh, in one of our ranches uh, close to Arandas because we want to go back there. And so my idea is that uh, that I can probably wake up a little later than I do today yeah. and have a nice coffee looking at the agave fields. And then I can go walk the agave fields without any pressure of getting to the office or yeah. to do the city to do this or that. And then probably during the day, I will I will still go one uh, little time into the city to see what's going on, what's happening. But by knowing that everything is under control, I will be visiting there yeah. and making sure that everything fine is fine. That to me is the concept of retirement. Be close enough, but not to be so deep to yeah. the neck into every day's uh, production. It sounds beautiful. And I think that that is a worthy retirement, everyone probably aim for so Carlos it's been a pleasure chatting with you and the tasting yesterday was wonderful just getting to read your work in so many different ways and getting to see that dynamic between you and Tomas and developing one of the most revered tequila brands in the world if not the most revered like a collect instant collectible you know I mean that's an amazing feat especially just because you're flexing some creative muscles so people are very very supportive and they they react so wonderfully to the tequila so thank you for speaking with me and i hope you guys have a really safe well, trip to san antonio thank you for for inviting me to to talk to you thank you for for allowing me to express uh, my opinions and especially thank you for the concept that you have on our tequilas and our job sure. and what we're doing again as i said we have been slowly but steady building a, a kind of a small reputation and we want to maintain that so this kind of feedback tells me that we're on the right direction oh, yeah. and we want to keep that way it's so thank you brilliant. very much oh, it's a, it was a pleasure you guys stay safe and hopefully you'll be back in january when we talk again i hope so right, looking forward thank you well there we have it a great chat a forward by mr david Searle and getting to know the tequila legend himself mr carlos camarena of course you've got tapatio 110 an amazing favorite and perhaps a great gift this holiday season and the incredibly delicious and pioneering project tequila ancestral that mr david Ciro talks about at the beginning of the episode it was just a pleasure to get to combine both of these amazing personalities into one episode it is a tequila bomb and it should hopefully inspire you and revitalize your interest in tequila getting to hear from such passionate men. And again, as always, thank you so much, David. Thank you, Carlos, for spending some time with me. I could not be luckier getting to meet with two modern legends. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. The holidays are upon us, and I hope that no matter how you're feeling about the conclusion of HBO's Westworld, or if you were able to locate that bottle of Tequila Ancestral for your greatest spirit aficionado friends. Please keep dancing.